All right, so we're going we're gonna to go into those five behaviors now, and we're going to talk a little bit about sensing. Now, I'm going to show you a series of pictures. You know, one person said, um, what is... It'll come back. If you can make the marriage safe enough, you can take those fists and really open them up, and there's a dream, in, dream inside each fist. There's a life dream. When people see what the dream is, when we can sense that, see, and what the narrative story is, the history of this life dream, usually both people want to honor their partner's dream. So can you sense people's underlying needs in the family? Can you sense his or her dreams? That's key in relationships, for us to be able to sense each other's needs. But you know, sometimes we have a hard time sensing other people's needs. Why? Because we're so focused on ourselves. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go through that. Instead of, we don't have enough people to do it this way. We got one group, so here's the group. I'm going to show you a series of pictures. I want you to tell me what you sense. See, we have to train people how to sense things. Because we don't look. We're on our Blackberries. We're on the phone. We're watching television. We don't look closely enough at people to, to sense what's happening. What do you sense is happening here? What is he pulling out? Santa Claus. What, is, what, what, what do you think is happening here? He didn't get what, Emily? He didn't get any gifts? No, that's not about gifts. But that, that's Santa Claus hat. Some disappointment? Yeah, what emotions are going through this kid's mind right now? What did he just do? Ah, he discovered Santa's suit. That's what we're looking for. Give that lady a ball. <laughs> you can, and isn't it, I sent you all stress balls. <laughs> he sensed, how, what else do you know, what else tells you that this is his parents' room? Come on, you have to look at everything. This is why I say sensing is so hard, because we, we don't tend to do that. What else tells you? The dress, it couldn't be his because it's too tall, right? The mirror's way up. You're the first one that ever mentioned the mirror. I've probably done this 200 times. You're the first one that's ever said the mirror. But what else do you see that says that this is not his room? Look, look at the whole picture. The door? No. What is that? That's a pot. That's a pipe. You said it was a pipe? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so we know this is not his room. So he's just discovered that mom and dad have been lying to me. Or my daddy is, is Santa Claus. What emotions are going through this kid's feelings, see? When we see a person, we have to get in the habit of sensing what's going on in that person. What do you sense is happening here? 
What day of the week is it? A worship day? Would it be Sabbath? Would it be Sunday? How do you know it's Sunday? The newspapers, right? What else do you sense? No, Rockwell was an interesting artist, huh? Daddy ain't going to church. Right. What else do you sense is happening here? What about those three ladies? What are they, what are they a picture of? Self-righteousness. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's straight up determination. What about the little kid? Yeah, well, does he, where does the little kid want to be? Yeah, right, right. Look, look closer. What other clues do you see in that picture that tell you that this daddy's a bad guy? He's smoking. Did you see that? He's, he's smoking. What do you see about his uniform, his pajamas? Prison clothes. Now look real close at his. He's got two horns. There you go. He's got two horns. All right. So we have to look at the whole picture in the family, in the classroom. We have to learn how to sense what's happening. And it takes practice because we live in a fast-paced world. You can Google this. Oh, what do you sense is happening here? Somebody well dressed and somebody. It's a dog in the corner. What else? What clues do you see from this picture? What might be happening? Okay, one man has on working clothes and the other one has on what? Yeah. His son, maybe, okay. And what's happening with the son? Got to look at the whole picture. Hard times? He's traveling. They're sitting on the back of an old car is what that is. Oh, see the wheel over there. So, so you've got to look at the whole picture. See, when you, when, when you sense somebody's, when you see something, you have to sense what's happening in the room, and you have to look at everything sometime. What do you sense is happening here? There's a story here. Ah! Who's going away? The son, where's it? How do you know he's going away? He's going to school? What gives you a clue that he might be going? Books beneath and there's a state pennant right there. See? Now, what emotions do you see happening here? Dad is sad. The dog, the dog is even sad, right? What about the boy? He's ready to get out of here, isn't he? Isn't that great? You have to look at all the things. Dad is sad, not only that he's losing his son, but what might he also be losing? 
somebody to help him. Yeah, his help. I showed this picture in the south, and everybody says he's losing his heart, his hand to help him on the farm. Yeah. Last, I think this is the last one. What do you sense is happening here? <laughs> no communication? Suppose he's trying to find a job so that the family can eat. She's not happy. Hmm, you have to look at all of the clues on her face, right? Are they married? Possibly. How do you know? His has on. If they weren't married, he might just be paying more attention. All right. Is there, no, is there another clue that says that they're married? She might have on a wedding ring, right? Yeah. You see it right there. So you see how hard it is to sense what's happening sometimes? Do you think we get it right all the time? You got to get closer to the scene to see everything, don't you? And that's what happens in families. That's what happens at work. We, sen we don't sense what's happening. We just react to things, and we haven't learned how to sense people's needs. And it takes time. It takes energy. Yes? And also from a distance, things might seem different from what they're there. The close-up view. And, and, and people, outsiders see things from a distance. We don't know. We don't know what's going on in that sense. We have to sense people's needs before they ask and then take action. All right? Help. Help each other out. Now, failure to accept influence from loved ones leads to dissatisfaction in the relationship. This is especially true for men. Now, what does that mean? You can't tell me what to do, woman. That's right. What about the... One of the best teachers I've ever had. Think about one of the best teachers you've ever had. What did you learn from that teacher? One of the best teachers I ever had showed me the importance of healthful living. And that was my wife. Now, let's go back to the other slide. I could refuse to accept that influence from my loved one. And the more I reject that influence, the more dissatisfaction would be created. So what is it about men that don't want to take advice from women? Yeah, what's up with that? God said we're the rulers. <laughs> you know, we, we have a Bible study on Wednesday night, and we were doing 1 Corinthians, and we were going through this. And it was, it was interesting to hear, because three, three couples, and to hear the take on, on that particular piece. But we, we have to come to the point where, where we accept influence from our loved one, male and female. Don't, I don't think the women are going to get away scot-free 
The use of harsh startups leads to dissatisfaction in the relationship. This is especially true for women. What does that mean, harsh startups? What are some of the things that you harsh startupers do to us men? Did you see my script? Those are the very first two. You never, you always, what's wrong with you? A sort of name calling, sarcasm. We call them killer statements. Now I want you to look at these statements and tell me what would be, in a, in a teamwork environment of the home, what would be a better way of saying some things? You'll have to. What would be a better way of saying you'll have to? Would you please, could you please, or I need you to? What about, I don't know. I'll find out, honey, and see if, see what. We can't do that. But here's what we could do. Yeah, can we turn it from the negative into the positive? I'll have to. I want you to. See, these are killer statements. Yeah. These are killer statements. Why'd you do that? What, oh, here's a good one. I disagree. What's wrong with saying I disagree? What's wrong with saying that? Do you ever disagree? I respectfully disagree. I respectfully disagree. What happens when you say I disagree? You put up a barrier because now, because you disagree, I have to do what? I have to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. So we call those killer statements. What would be a better way? Because this is, this, is this is probably one of the best ones in a family. What would be a better way of saying I disagree when you really do disagree that would not cut off the, the, the communication? How about? What did you say? What was your name? I, keep, I forgot your name. Maria. Maria. What did you say? I see what you're saying, but it's still an idiot. Ah, there you go. There you go. Have you considered? Honey, you may be right, but have you considered this? Doesn't that sound better than I disagree? You know, I was in my office. We had an executive meeting, and this is about all of these. This is being taped. In. <laughs> all of these killer statements came out in, the, in an executive meeting because leaders tend to use these. People in charge tend to use these. People with authority. So you can see in a, in a family environment, authority gets in the way of communication sometimes. So I'm the man, I'm in charge, we can't do that. Cuts down communication. Oh, here's the other one, you misunderstood me. What's wrong with that? Honey, you just, I'm, you just misunderstood me. What does that do? Call it, it's actually, you're saying, you, you mean you didn't get it? <laughs> you're not intelligent enough to get it, so when, you, when I say you, as soon as I say you, I take, you have a responsibility and I don't. You misunderstood me, which means I'm right and you're wrong. So now I just call the person, as Katya said, I just call them stupid. So what would be better than you misunderstood me? Especially these two in the home are the two biggest. Would you say, instead of saying you misunderstood me? Maybe I didn't make myself clear. Now, I've taken responsibility for the communication instead of you, right? So in a teamwork environment, in the team of the home, if the home is the team, I want to get rid of these killer statements. What was the other slide? They called them start, harsh startups. 
See, because that ruins communication. Now, here's my favorite one. I'll let you. <laughs> Honey, I'll let you go get the car. What's wrong with that? Did you ever tell him, honey, I'll, I'll let you go do something? When you, I'll let you bathe the kids tonight. Yes. I'm the boss. Every time I see that one, it reminds me of being in the third grade. And the teacher would tell her, I'll let you lead the kids in something today. I'll let you is not a very strong teamwork statement. Yes. I let Take it back. Yeah. Right. That's the one that, that that's the one that just jumps out at me all the time. So what's better than saying I'll let you? Kari, I'll I'll let you go behind me today instead of me instead of you going first. You didn't hear me say that, did you? What's a better way of saying I'll let you? Honey, would you please go get the car for me? It would be so helpful. What am I going to say then? Sure, honey, I'll be happy to. I'll be happy to. But if you're going to let me go get it, I, I, I just may just take, I'll let you take out the garbage tonight. I may be all night taking that garbage out. Honey, I really need you to take out the garbage. It's just... You know, that is such an easier way of getting communication than authoritative killer statements. So in a teamwork environment of the home, let's try to get rid of these statements and use more positive statements. Okay, we're moving fast. Acknowledge people's what? Feelings. Acknowledge people's feelings. All right. Now, here is a scenario, and you're going to do the work on this one. Your teenager comes home, makes a beeline for his room, turns his stereo on full blast, and before he slams the door, he shouts, My stupid teacher gave me an F on my project. I hate school. I can't wait to be done. I'm definitely not going to college. What would you say? Nothing at first. Now, let me just tell you one thing, kid. You're living in my house, and you do what I say. So what do we usually do? We usually do non-empathetic responses. Let's, give you, let's see what are some examples of non-empathetic responses. Changing the focus to myself. Have you ever done that? What would be an example of changing the focus to myself in that scenario? Well, when I was in school, I remember when I was in school, I didn't get any Fs. See, now I have just taken, disregarded the way she feels, and I'm dealing with myself. Or, here's a good one, giving advice. If you had not been on the phone texting all night, you could have been ready for that test. See, now I'm giving advice. That's not a 
an empathetic statement. What about minimizing the situation? What's an example in that situation of minimizing? Yeah, it's not, that's only one F. You've never, yeah, you got a lot of time to go. So I've just minimized the situation. All of these are non-helpful responses. What about false reassurance? Everything will be all right on the next test. You just watch. It'll, it'll all work out. And we teach these in healthcare. And sometimes false reassurance is a really bad one because people don't always get through it. They might die, you know. False reassurance or appearing distracted or annoyed. What'd you say? You did what? You got what? Because I'm on the phone talking to my friend. See? These are non empathetic responses. Now, let's turn the tables. What would be a great empathetic response? Sounds like you had a rough day. Tell me what happened. So what, what's the key here in, in empathy? To connect with the feeling. Oh, honey, I am so sorry you, you feel this way. I don't like to see you feel this way. What does that do to the person who just walked in and slammed the door? It diffuses the situation. I'm going to teach you about that in a few minutes, too. Acknowledge their feelings first and then communicate and talk about what the answer is. Empathetic responses are hard. We have to learn to acknowledge their feelings and to listen. And sometimes we don't want to do that because listening is hard work. When we communicate, the message is 93% nonverbal. This might shock you. Body language is 55%, tone of voice 38.7. I'm not mad at you. Did that sound like I wasn't? No. So, or, oh boy, I got to go do this again. Body language, rolling my eyes. You can always tell how a kid is by their body language because they don't hide it. Mm -hmm. They don't hide it. So show them that you're listening. What does I don't care look like? Look at the lady and then look at the guy. She doesn't look like she could care a, a lick about what he's saying. What does I care look like? Oh, I have to tell you this. This is a true story. One of our trainers who teaches uh, these principles was having a hard time in her marriage. And um, her husband was coming home late, and she didn't know what to do about it. And so he calls up like the fifth night. Honey, don't worry about dinner. I'm going to be late again tonight, and um, I'll just make a sandwich when I get home. So she says, again? This is the fifth night in a row. He says, that's okay. Uh, just don't worry about it. So she hangs up the phone, and um, he comes home late. And just as he said, he comes in 
She gets up. She's watching television in the family room. Gets up and comes around and says, uh, what's wrong with you? What does he say? Nothing. So then what does she do? No, she goes back to the living room. And um, she was sitting there, she said, for several minutes, fuming because this was the f he'd been coming home late. And she said, wait a minute. I need to see if this share stuff works. I'm teaching it. I'm training it. And so she goes back into the kitchen, and she says, honey, I sense you had a bad day. Would you like to talk about it? Is this the same lady that was just in here a minute ago? I mean, that was his reaction. But then she said, he said, bad day? This has been the worst week of my life. I almost quit my job today. And then she said, they sat down at the dining room table and talked for 45 minutes. She said they hadn't done that in weeks. And she said, I couldn't understand how going from what's wrong with you to honey, I sent you had a bad day could just open up the gates of communication. It's amazing. But just one little word of showing that you care what it does in a relationship, whether or not it's in the home or at work or at church, because we don't know how to listen. That's our biggest problem is we don't know how to listen. So what does I care look like? What do you see there that shows that you care? Touch. Eyes, eye contact. See? Big difference. Big difference. Tips for active listening. Face the speaker. Sit up straight. Lean slightly forward. Let's go back there and see if she's doing it. Yeah, she's leaning forward. I hadn't seen that before. Maintain eye contact. We noticed she was doing that. No distractions. Put the cell phones and the blackberries away. Respond appropriately to show the speaker that you understood. Ask questions and paraphrase. When I was in graduate school um, in hospital administration, we were taught that whenever a doctor comes in, always grab a piece of paper, a, a pen and a piece of paper, and even if you don't have any ink in the pen, act like you're writing something down. <laughs> I mean, they told us that. We would, we, on, on Thursdays, they would bring in a different kind of specialist, and we would interview them and talk to them. And some of those doctors said, we just want people to take action and do stuff when we tell them. And so we were taught to always act like we were writing things down, to give the communication, the body language, that we care about what they're saying. Don't interrupt. That's my pet peeve. Because I'm thinking ahead, what do I have to do next? What do I have to do next? So I'm going to finish your sentence for you. Just listen. Just listening is the hardest thing. You know, in healthcare, it's easy. And in this heart. Another one of our colleagues uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Not at one of our hospitals. She went, she was, went to another hospital because she didn't want to go to our hospital. And she went to a hospital in Georgia. And um, she was devastated. She was going to have to have a mastectomy. And her husband drove her to the hospital that day. And she didn't want him to see her lose it. 
he brought her in, <clears throat> dropped her off, and he said, honey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go park the car in a better place that's long-term parking. What do you think happened when he left? She just lost it. She just lost it. She just, she couldn't understand why this had happened to her, and she was a healthy, living person, and she just lost it. A nurse came into the room and said, what's wrong with you? And she said, nothing. I, I, I just don't like this room. Honey, you better get a grip on it. You're here for something serious and you're worried about your room? Mm, mm, mm. And walked out of the room. That was this, I'm so glad it wasn't one of our hospitals. Then her husband came back and she dried up her face and because uh, she didn't want him to see how this was really getting to her. And she told us, I couldn't believe she got up in a big meeting where we were having a training and told this story. And it's actually been written in, one, in a book. And so he spent the rest of the, the evening there with her. And then he said, you know, surgery is at 6 o'clock in the morning. I need to go. And um, I'll be back first thing in the morning. So he left again. What do you think happened the second time? She just lost it again. Shift change. A new nurse came in the room. Immediately saw what was happening. She'd come in to do all of the pre-op stuff. And she, she knew that this lady was having some emotional issues with the surgery. So she didn't do anything. She just went over, pulled up a chair, sat down, and took the lady's hand. I'm touching your wife's hand, okay. And just, the, all, all that, that's all she did. Just sat there with her for about five minutes. And then she got up to leave. And the lady said, oh, please, come back, come back. She said, no, you know, we can do this at any time. She said, no, I know you got your work to do. You got to do this, all of this pre-op stuff. She said, no, I can do that at any time tonight. You take this time. She said, no, really, I'm serious. She said, you have no idea what your touch meant to me. I'm ready for it now. Body language is sometimes just listening, just feeling, just being there for the person. Because it's hard work. The greatest work of love is attention. And the greatest work of attention is what? Listening. Because we want to go fast. We live in a fast-paced world. And we just want to get through it. Acknowledging people's feelings means taking the time to sit in their shoes and to listen. And sometimes that's hard work. Now, any of you all have this kind of person at home <laughs> or at work? I'm going to give you a little trick here. We call, you called diffusing it a few minutes ago. We call it the hostility curve. And we call this, how do you diffuse a rocket when somebody's upset or angry? So somebody comes in the house angry. As a matter of fact, that story I told you about the kid with the F, that actually happened to somebody that works with us. And the mother dealt with it. I'm going to show you how she dealt with it. So this kid comes in the house, takes off. She's mad. She's angry. She's upset or it's a patient in the hospital, or it's a faculty member, or it's somebody in your home. 
When they take off, what do you do? Take cover. Take cover. <laughs> yeah, you stay calm. If, if that rocket is escalating, you don't say anything. You can't come in this house talking like that. That's not the time to say this. You just stay calm. Now, when you stay calm, they're going to vent. They're going to just let you have it. When they're ventilating now, what do you do? You listen. Excellent. You listen. Now, I can diffuse this. I mean, I can escalate this rocket even more by doing what? Talking or what did we just learn? Body language. Rolling your eyes. All of that's going to do is going to do what? It's just going to make the person more angry. So I can, I can refuel the rocket by my body language, by, by being distracted or annoyed. So it's really important for me to keep focus, to stay calm, to listen to what's happening. Now, they've gotten to the peak, and they're not going to take, they're done. Now what do you do? What do you do? It's your turn to say something. You make a calm entry. You empathize. See, if you try to explain right now, you're in trouble. That's just going to refuel the rocket. If you empathize, then they can cool off, and then you can try to explain. They can listen. Hopefully, you offer what can do, and the problem is, is resolved. The same thing happened to that lady whose kid came in the house who had a bad day at school. She just stayed calm and then she listened. And when it got time for her to say something, you know what she said to her kid? Honey, I know this is very important to you and you're a good student and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this doesn't happen again. That's what she said. Give you another example. True story. Came in a, a guy came into our hospital we thought he was going to blow it up. That's how mad he was. He came into one of our patients' room and saw his sister on the floor naked and feces was all on the wall. True story. And he went ballistic. I'm going to sue you people. Look at you. You got my sister on the floor. Well, they had just been in the room 10 minutes before and she was sitting in the bed. But this lady's condition, she, was, she had issues. She had ripped off her clothes and defecated all over the place. And he walked in right at that time. And he was making so much noise out on the hallway, and the nurses didn't know what to do. Director of nurses was in a meeting in administration, so they call up, you better get out here. A man is going crazy. And you could hear him all over the floor. So, but this lady understood this tactic. So she got off the elevator and could hear him. So he walks up, she walks up to him and says, Mr. Johnson, uh, can, we, can we talk? You better believe it. You're going to hear every word I got to say. I mean, he was just giving it to her. Please come to my office. I'll, I'm coming. And he's right behind him. Please have a seat. No, I'm standing up. So she just sat there, stayed calm, and listened. And he's just ripping the place. I mean, they were calling security. He was that kind of abusive. But then he finished. He, he got up here. <laughs> he got to the point. 
What do you think she said to that guy? She said, Mr. Johnson, if I am ever in a situation like your sister, I hope someone loves me as much as you love your sister. What can he say then? <laughs> she said he sat down in the chair and cried like a baby. And she found out after she was able to then probe a little bit that this woman was like his mother. She was the older sister in the family. Their mother had died when they were younger. And he didn't, you know, she practically raised him. And to come in and see his mother like that was just all he could take. He went from wanting to sue the hospital to making a donation to the hospital just because of the way this nurse who knew this principal had treated him. And so the point is, we have to learn how to use empathy in the family environment, in the work environment, in the church environment, to diffuse the abuse that we see. And you're going to deal with what that looks like a little later. What opportunities do you have to show empathy towards your spouse? Our children. Do you have set times that you talk in the family? Dinner time, breakfast? Because we live in this fast-paced world now. Nobody sits down and talks. Give me an example of, of a great empathetic. Well, you did that already. How can you improve your active listening skills? Does anybody have any idea of what they can do? For yourself. Now, I've, for me, it was I made a vow not to interrupt. What about you? Is there anything you need to do? To, to, to make sure you listen better? Willie, you're looking like you might. Try to have a, I guess, spiritual connection with God. So I, I know that listening is hard. So how, what did I have to do, though? In my, can you evaluate yourself and decide, how can I be a better listener to the person who don't be thinking about what I got to do. What are you saying, Maria? Put aside everything and actually focus. When I tend to be <coughs> surrounded by One of the hardest things to do in a family as we respect each other is the issue of trust. That's why I couldn't see it. There it is. I was looking for this when I was under R. Here's your test for the day. Yeah, this feels like. Please tell me there's something in here. Yes. Okay. <laughs> give me, give one to everybody. Okay. Yeah, if he wants to do that. Play along. All right, everybody got one now? I didn't tell you what to do. See, you just jumped to conclusions here. <laughs> okay. Here is your assignment. Open, first of all, I want you to write your, your name on the outside of the paper. Just write, uh, on the envelope. Write your name on the envelope. <clears throat> okay? Now, let me just make one statement about this exercise. You can trust me. You don't know me, but you can trust me. All right? Now, inside your envelope, everybody got the name on their envelope? Okay, inside your envelope is a little three by five card, right? You can trust me. 
All right. And here's what I want you to do. Um, don't, let, don't, don't try to look at what the other person is writing. I want you to write something on that three by five card that's a secret about you that nobody else knows but you. And I want you to write it on that little three by five card and put it in that envelope and seal it up. Okay? A deep, dark secret. In the third grade, I put a tack in my teacher's seat. I don't know, and I don't care what it is. Just something that's, a, that's something that you're not proud of, something that you're ashamed of that you did at one time in your life. It's a deep, dark secret, and you wish you hadn't done it. I want you to write it on that card, and you can trust me. Don't let the person next to you see what you're writing. William, don't let your wife see yours. See, you're just so good, you never did nothing bad, did you? I know you got a long list back there, don't you? <laughs> All right, when you finish, just put it in your card, seal it up. Oh, my goodness. I'm almost through. I didn't know it was this late. <laughs> All right, you done? Okay. It's 410, yeah. Everybody done? Who are we waiting on? William? You got it sealed? All right, Emeline, you're the last one. Okay. Seal it up. Need you to seal it up. Okay. She's doing her scientifically, getting some water. All right. Let me see. Everybody hold your paper up. Okay. Now exchange papers with the person next to you. How are you feeling right now, Janet? A little uncomfortable. A little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I know it's sealed, but you know it's <laughs> Yeah. Now, suppose I said, okay, open this envelope and read what the person gave you. No. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? Yeah. That'd be a real problem. Right. Does this happen in the family? We have secrets that we share with our family, with our spouse, with our children. And what do they expect from us to be? What, what, what do they expect of us to do with that information? Keep it. To keep it confidential. confidential. Right. Do we always do that? Do we always do that? I have a lot of stories from my trainers. One of our trainers was teaching this section. We do this in healthcare, especially because of patient confidentiality. But this was in a, this, we were doing this for a group of educators. Um, it was the, all of the faculty and teachers for one of the conferences. 
And our trainer was doing this, and in the middle of it, she just lost it. She started crying. And I had to physically go up and kind of put my arm around her. And, and it, I mean, the whole room just got quiet. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. She said, this just brought back memories to me. She said, like 10 years before, her best friend had gotten pregnant in academy. And she went to one of the faculty members because she didn't know who else to go to. And she said, please don't tell my parents. Please don't tell anybody in the faculty. I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're my favorite teacher, and I thought I would come to you, and you could help me decide what to do. And that afternoon, there was a faculty meeting. And that man told the whole faculty and devastated that girl. And here it was 10 years later, her best friend was still feeling the results of that breach of confidentiality. And it was so bad, the girl had to leave school and never went back because she was embarrassed, she was ashamed, she felt herself a sinner that was never going to be saved. It ruined the girl's life. And when our trainer was telling this story, it was such a deep-seated emotion that she experienced it all over again. And that's what happens in our families. And some of the abuse that happens, happens because we don't keep things confidential in the family. And we get folk who resent being there because we've breached the confidence. Respecting the dignity and the privacy of others and the family is essential. All right, get your papers back. Just want you to feel what that felt like to be no, I don't want to see what's on those papers. You know, you know what's funny? I was teaching, uh, I, I was teaching a class, a big class at, at uh, the office, the corporate office, and my son was working for us then, and all of our employees have to come through this, this program, and I was really interested to see what he had put on his car. <laughs> I wanted to know. Okay, we did that. If the will of God is fulfilled, the husband and wife will respect each other and cultivate love and confidence. Anything that would mar the peace and unity of the family should be firmly repressed, and kindness and love should be cherished. Adventist Home, page 120. We're going to find that respect and affection are essential to all relationships working, and contempt destroys them. It may differ from culture to culture in how to communicate respect and how to communicate affection and how to not do it. But I think we'll find that those are universal things. That's from John Gottman, a psychologist and a marriage researcher. So when we, uh, positivity is in form of respect. Happy relationships have a five to one ratio. Did you know that? You call that positive sentiment override. When my wife and I got married, Elder Brooks told us that you should hug each other as a minimum seven times a day. And it takes five positive statements to overact one negative statement. So you got to keep piling on. So one guy says, I'm going to give you all my five right now. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work that way. It has to be continual. And the worst time to do it is at night. 
You can figure that one out. What are opportunities for you to increase the level of respect in your relationships? List specific examples of how you can increase the positive sentiment override in your most significant relationship. Well, I told you what we did. So, we, you know, we, we hug. We hug a lot. That's one of the positive things that we do. What is something that you can do to increase that positive sentiment override? Because in any relationships, you're going to have some negative. You just have to make sure that we have five times more positive than negative, and that will help in that situation. We just did the secrets. What signals might you be sending by your body language? Let's look at each other now. What, is that, what does this usually mean? Don't get too close to me. Yeah. When you start leaning back, and what does that mean? I'm, I'm Don't get too close, and I'm kind of getting tired here. When people start wiggling in their chairs, I know it's time for them to go take a bathroom break. Got to watch the body language and the yawning and the fidgeting, see? All right. Now, explain what's happening in your family. Here's something. I want you to take that piece of paper I gave you. Everybody got a piece of paper? Katya, you have one? All right. Okay, you're not, not going to write on it, okay? Fold your papers in half. And then fold them in half again. And then I'd like you to tear off the corner. Just take a nice little tear on it. And then I want you to fold it one more time. And then tear off another corner, OK? I'm done. Okay, I'm done with my instructions. Let me see. Pull up your, open up your paper now. Let me see. Okay, what is yours, Janet? William? Let's see, what does yours look like? Okay. Now, you all heard the same instructions. But you have different papers. Why is that? Everybody's interpretation is, hey, that's close. All right, what was wrong with the, what was wrong? Why didn't you get the same thing? So it's my problem. It's my fault. Okay, so how easy was it for you to follow my instructions? Okay, what could I have done differently? What would have helped you improve? Okay, I could have been more specific about the corner. What else? Repeat, ask questions, repeat instructions. But I didn't let you do any of that, did I? Yeah. What else? I could have spoken a little more slowly. All of that would have helped you increase. Yo, see, the greatest work of attention is listening. We did the nonverbal already, didn't I? I got this in here twice. Oh, here's one of my favorite ones. Can you do that? This is really hard for men to do. I don't know why, but they just don't get it. All right, now bring it and put it on your chin. 
I said chin. Ah, does that tell you about, about listening? You were watching, right. So if I really have a critical message to give into my family, what do I need to be cognizant of? What I say, how I say it, and my body language and what I do. Because I may communicate some wrong information. If you're going down the, if you're driving, you just ask for directions. And they said, when you get to the next corner, turn left. And they point right. <laughs> Which way would you go? Probably right. Even though they said left. Why? They're visual. We're visual people. We do what we see. That's why the little child imitates the dad when he picks up a cigarette. He wants to pick up a cigarette because he wants to do what the daddy did. Visual messages. We give visual messages. But sometimes the way we communicate, all of this is taken into consideration. Our eyes, our posture, our face, our, our touch, our movement. So when I'm listening, and we kind of talked about this already, what's the best way to go? What did you learn today already? To go left or to go right? right? So if I go right, what happens? If I'm listening and then I empathize and then I explain, this is from a book that's entitled, Do I Have to Give Up Me to Be Loved by You? If I go to the left to try to explain something in a relationship, then I'm trying to protect or to defend because I have the information. If I go to the right, most times it's going to be learning and understanding. But when there's conflict, we always have two choices. I can go to the right or I can go to the left. When I go to the left, there's fight or flight. I don't want to hear this. I'm out of here. Or if I go to the right, I have an opportunity to learn more about you and you have more to learn about me. Because when I show empathy, Empathy creates the environment for us to get more information and understanding. So always go to the right instead of the left. The left will create distance. The right develops closeness and intimacy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. What's the name of that book? Do I have to give, and I don't know the author. I've been trying to find it. Do I have to give up me to be loved by you is the name of the book. What may be confusing to your spouse or to your children or to your family? What are the key times for us to communicate? You know, for kids, we don't understand their language because they, they are in a different world. So we have to figure out how can I communicate better with our children? The same with our spouses. What do I have to do to better understand what my spouse is trying to communicate? How can you ensure that you are communicating in a way that your spouse or children understand without lording it over them? See, you have to figure that out. And then how can you improve communication within your family? You know, when, when I was coming up and had my little children, when things got bad, we would call a family council. And in the family council, mom and dad would let the children speak first, and we promised that we would not interrupt. Or 
if the kids wanted something, they knew how to gang up on dad, or you know, they knew who to go to for certain things. And so the, you, you gotta always be cognizant of that. Improving communication in your family. Set times for us. It was always at breakfast. Breakfast in the morning, we always had time to eat together, to talk together. Everybody knew that. Because at night, we didn't know when the kids were coming home. The academy has so much stuff for them to do. So we always made the kitchen table in the first in the morning our time for communication. Okay, I just got one more thing and we're done. S stands for what? Sensing people's what? Needs before they ask. H? Help each other out. A? R? And E? Okay. All right. I'd like you to see this little video in closing. It's about how do I go and make a difference in the lives of the people that I deal with. And then we're done. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.